Welcome to the Field of Church podcast. Our church inhales and exhales the gospel every Sunday and is excited to bring our messages to you here. Thank you for joining us and we hope God moves in your life as you listen into this feed. Hey, Fielder Church, welcome to our online worship experience. So glad you're joining us today. Today is an incredibly special Sunday. This is Adoption Sunday. And if you know anything about Fielder Church, it's an exceptionally important day for us. Now, if you're a guest, we would love to know that you're tuning in with us on this important Sunday. You can just do that simply by texting the word next step to 94253. And if you get that, it'll send you a link to our online form that you fill out. It takes just a brief moment, but we want to know how to partner with you and how to serve you. So please let us know that you're here. Let me tell you about this Sunday that we have today, Adoption Sunday. It's so important that last week when I told my eldest daughter, my 16-year-old daughter, Abby, that it was going to be Adoption Sunday, she said, Daddy, that's my favorite Sunday of the year. To which I said to a 16-year-old girl, well, why in the world is Adoption Sunday your favorite Sunday? And she said, because I just, I love hearing the stories of families that are adopting. And I love knowing our church is making a difference for children who need a home. And man, I want you to know, I, I just did this. Yes, almighty God, my daughter gets it. I was, it was a proud papa to listen to my daughter, understand who we are as a church, that we care for the fatherless and for the orphan. Now, if you're a guest, you may not know that we have a vision for this, but we have a 10-year vision that God would bring into our church families 1,000 children through adoption and foster parenting, 1,000 precious children who would find a home. Stop and think about that for a second. Think about the majesty of 1,000 children discovering a mom and a dad who love them and welcome them into their family. That's going to change the world. Now, by God's grace, we've been in this vision now for about four, a little over four years, and we've had 95 families already bring a child into their home through adoption and foster parenting. 95 precious children already. But we believe this is just the beginning. We believe God is going to do even more. And the reason we believe it is because that's what God's word says is the heart of the Father. I want to read this for you. It's Psalm 68, verses 4 and 5. Listen to what it says about God. It says, sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides through the deserts. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Listen to this. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. He is father to the fatherless. Let me tell you what that means. It means he loves the fatherless even more than we do. But whenever we join God in his heart and we begin to extend out love to the fatherless and bring them into our homes, we sing the very heart of God to the nations. This is why we love that God lets us do this today. So let me tell you what's going to happen today. This morning, we are going to sing songs of worship to God and praise him for who he is, just like this verse tells us to. We're going to dig into God's word and let it challenge us about God's truth and his heart toward adoption. We're even going to have a moment where we celebrate 21 families in our church body that are preparing to bring a child into their home right now. And then at the end of the service, we're going to get a challenge from God's word to respond. And I believe every single one of us watching this, whether we bring a child into our home or we support those who do it, we have a role to play to be biblical community to help bring these precious children into homes. But I think we got to start where the Bible tells us to start. Our work for God always flows from our worship of God. So here's what I'd love for you to do. I'd love for you to stand to your feet. I'd love for you to worship King Jesus and sing about the good, good father that God has given you. Let's praise him. Weren't those children absolutely precious? Each one of them so beautiful and made perfectly in the image of God. They may not know it, but they're all made perfectly in the image of God. What I love about God's word is it tells us that every precious child 
bears his image. In fact, you, you see that from the very beginning of the Bible. If you were to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, listen to what it says about children and about the way they reflect the image of God. It's going to be really important as we understand the heart of the Father a little bit later on. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this says that God, when he created humanity, he created them, it says, in his image after his likeness. Now those two words in Hebrew are really important, image and likeness. They're slightly different, but they, they maintain the same general idea. It refers to something that resembles, is similar to something else, not identical to, but similar to something else, so as to reflect its nature and essence. That's what it means to bear the image or likeness of something else. And so what this passage is telling us is that when God created humanity, humanity, better than any other part of creation, reflects the nature and essence of God himself. Now, I want you to stop and, and think about the implications of that thought. I don't know if you've ever had this moment before. It's, it's hit me a few times where I've gone out into outside the city where there's not light pollution at night when there's no clouds and looked up in the sky and just seen the billions of stars that are out there, the, the ones that are visible to my eye. And there's something so awe-inspiring about looking up at a starry night. You know these stars are billions and trillions of light years away. We can't even fathom how far away they are. And there's just something about seeing that vast expanse of the heavens that makes you have awe of the God who just spoke and it came into being. Or maybe you've been on the top of a mountain. You've climbed up or, or driven up to the top of a mountain, looked out over it. I remember we went to Pikes Peak just a couple of years ago and we were at the top of it looking at it. You could see the curvature of the earth. It was so huge and the, the view was incredible. And I just had this sense of the majesty and the splendor of God. Maybe you're a beach person. Maybe you've gone to the ocean before and you stand right there on the beach and you look out over the ocean and there is no end to it. I mean, you just, you can look in any direction and this vast body of water just keeps on going and going and you feel about this big next to the expanse of the waters. And all of a sudden you realize how small you are compared to an infinite, beautiful creator God. And as awesome and majestic as those moments are, what this passage is telling us is that a tiny human being better reflects the essence and nature of God even than those things. You see more glory and splendor and majesty in a human life that better reflects the essence and nature of God even than the most majestic things you can think of in creation. Man, listen, if you've ever struggled with a sense of self-worth, I pray that truth just slaps you in the face and you realize how much you matter. You reflect the nature and the essence of God. But it's not just us. Every human being ever created, every child bears fully the image of God. The nature and the essence of God is reflected in that child. This is why it doesn't matter the color of a child's skin. It doesn't matter what country they're born from. It doesn't matter whether they're in the womb or outside of the womb. They reflect fully the perfect, beautiful image of God. This is what has led the church rightly to stand up and fight for the unborn child. To say that child who is still in the womb that child reflects the nature and essence of God better than anything else in all of creation. And we should do everything we can to protect that child so that it can reflect the image and nature of God. But let me tell you what, you and I know this. Society does not teach the same thing. Society teaches that some children have more value than others. Society teaches that if there's a child that 
that has physical differences, well, that child is just not as special as somebody who doesn't. Or society says that if there's a child who is unplanned or, or unwanted, then that child should be discarded because they're not worth much. Society says if a child is born and they come out and you realize that there's mental limitations or there's emotional baggage, well, that child should be cast aside because they don't have anything significant to bring to this world. Society has forgotten that every child, no matter what they look like, no matter their capacity or lack thereof, they are bearing the very image of Almighty God himself. But this is why the church stands up and says we choose to give value to every single child created in the image of God. It was this mindset that led our church to step into this ministry. Early on in the vision, as we were praying over what God would do in this church, one of the things that kept confronting me is this idea that maybe, maybe God's heart is breaking over things and we're completely oblivious to them. And maybe we're over here celebrating things that God could care less about. Maybe we're celebrating the fact that a lot of people are coming to our worship services and we're thinking we're doing a great job. We don't even realize that all we're doing is taking people from other churches because we have a better program. We're not building the kingdom. I don't think God is celebrating that, even if we are. And then I began to worry, what if, what if God's heart is breaking over something and I don't even see it? And I began to realize because of the nature of God's creation of precious children bearing his image, that if ever there was a child who didn't know they were valuable, didn't know they were loved, didn't have a mom or a dad who would invest in them, that God's heart broke over that child. And he was weeping over that child, longing for that child to have a mom and a dad who would say, you matter, I love you. And it was this very thing that drove us to say, we need to enter into this ministry because God's heart is for adoption. If you don't believe me, you don't have to look any further than the cross of Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, you see the price the father was willing to pay. He was willing to let his own son bleed and die just so you and I could be adopted into his family. Maybe you've heard that truth before, but don't you dare take that truth lightly. I've shared this story with you before if you've been a part of Fielder, but I think it's worth say, saying again because you need to understand how the Lord taught me this. It happened 12 years ago. So I was in Beijing, China. We had just arrived, flown there to adopt our son Max 12 years ago. And at the time, my eldest daughter was four and my younger daughter was two and we were about to pick up Max the next day. But when we arrived in, in Beijing, my wife and I, we noticed that my daughter was starting to look a little bit sick my four-year-old, Abby, and then she began to, to get so sick she couldn't hold down any food. She began to vomit uncontrollably. And this went on for hours and hours. In fact, 24 hours, she could not hold down a droplet filled with water. She couldn't take in an ounce, a, a morsel of food. And her skin was starting to get this grayish color and it was getting translucent and, and thin and she couldn't even sit up in bed and I looked at her, she's looking lifeless. And I see this little girl, she looks like she's dying in our hotel room and there's nothing I can do about it. I finally hit a point, I'm like, Virginia, I gotta go do something about this. And she said, we're in Beijing, Jason. We're literally on the other side of the earth. What are you gonna do? And I said, I don't know, I just can't stay here. I'm going somewhere. So I went downstairs, went to the lobby of our hotel in downtown Beijing. And I tried to start asking people, is there, is there a doctor, is there somebody? But obviously they spoke Mandarin, I didn't. So I couldn't communicate with anybody. Finally, I decided to go out into the streets and just see if I could see a sign for a hospital, find a doctor, a nurse, somebody to help my poor baby girl. And I couldn't find anything. Everything's in Mandarin. I don't understand anything and I'm lost. I'm now walking down the median in the middle of a downtown road in Beijing, China, and I'm just beside myself. And I got to the point where I just started yelling at God. I looked up at God and said, God, I didn't sign up for this. I I'm not okay with you taking my daughter, Abby. I'm not willing to let my child die just to bring another child into my home. And the moment I said that, 
right there in the middle of that street in downtown China. God spoke to me. It wasn't audible, but it was as if he was standing right in front of me. And he tenderly whispered to me, Jason, isn't that exactly what I did for you? Didn't I give up my child just to adopt you into my family? And it was like a thousand knives came flying into my heart because I realized the price the father had paid to adopt me. Now, by God's grace, I went back up to the hotel room and I knew God had just, he needed to teach me a lesson so I'd understand his love for me. And I prayed over my daughter and sure enough, 24 hours later, no medicine, no doctors, no nothing. God healed her and she was fine, but God had taught me a lesson. Behold the manner of love the father has given unto us that he'd let his own child die so that we could become children of God. Listen, I need you to hear that because I'm afraid there's some of you watching this right now and you don't realize how loved you are. You don't realize how much the father has pursued you and what price he was willing to pay for you. God is trying to tell you he loves you, but you have to receive his love. So many of us, we try to earn God's affection. We try to earn our way into his family, but you'll never be able to earn it. Our sin is too great, but God has already paid the price through his own son so that our sin could be forgiven so we could be adopted into his family. Listen, before we talk any more about adoption or foster care or anything like that, you need to be adopted into the family of God. If the Sunday, Adoption Sunday, is the day you find your adoption in the family of God, there's no greater way for us to celebrate it. So if you're here watching this this morning and you're ready to place your faith in Jesus Christ, ready to find adoption, ask for forgiveness, make Jesus Lord of your life, we want to partner with you. Here's how we can do it. You can text the word next step to 94253, just like you see it right there on your screen. And what's going to happen is it's going to give you a link that you can go to for a small little form to let us know that you are ready to follow Jesus. Maybe you want to pray with a pastor. Maybe you have some questions, but we want to engage with you because today is a day that you can find life and be adopted eternally into the Father's family. He's already paid the price. He already loves you. He's seeking you. He just wants you to respond. If you need to do that, before we do anything else, take the time to go to that form at Next Step at 94253. But I also know there are many of you watching this and you've already made that decision to follow Christ. You've been adopted into his family. If you have, here's what I want you to know. There is no one who should be more passionate about adoption than those who have been adopted. It shouldn't be something we feel forced to do. Like, oh, okay, I got to adopt a kid or foster. No, no, this is something where God has done this for us. So we do it for others. Some of the most passionate people I've met about adoption are those who were adopted themselves. We do this every year, this Adoption Sunday. And I always have people at our live services who come up to me afterwards and say, hey, Jason, you may not know this, but I was adopted and I love that our church does this ministry. Tell me how I can be involved. They're passionate because they've experienced adoption if they've had a loving family. It's no different spiritually. The reason we pursue giving adoption to others is because we have been adopted. What's been done to us, we want to share with others. So I think the best thing we can do before we ever talk a little bit later on in the service about what it means for us to respond to God's call, right now we need to celebrate our adoption. And we're going to do so by looking at the price that was paid through the Lord's Supper. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to get your Lord's Supper supplies, a piece of bread for every single believer and a cup for every believer. And you're going to look in the bread at the body of Christ that was crucified and in the cup, the blood of Christ that was shed. That was the price that was paid. The Father gave up his own son to adopt you and to adopt me. Now we're going to sing a song about the reckless love of God, how he pursued us, how he came after us, all the good that he's done. And during this next song, you don't have to wait for me. I'm not going to lead you in the taking of the Lord's Supper. Your family can get together. You can take the Lord's Supper together. If you're by yourself, you can take the Lord's Supper together during this next song. But remember your adoption. 
And when the, uh, we sing a couple of songs, I'll come back, I'll teach you some more about God's word. But for now, worship the Lord. Get your heart ready. Remember your adoption. Take the Lord's Supper and join in the worship with the saints of God. Let's sing to him. Man, isn't it incredible to sing about God and what he's done, how he has loved you, how he has redefined who you are. You are chosen. You're not forsaken. You are who he says you are. Why? Not because you deserved it, but because of his fierce love for you. He ran down to get you, kicked down walls, tore down any barrier to have you. He sought you when you weren't seeking him. He loved you when you were not loving him back. And he helped you when you couldn't help yourself. Man, that's the message of the gospel. Here's what I love about the gospel of Jesus. It's not just a message that we inhale. It's a message that we also exhale. We aren't just helped when we can't help ourselves. We also help those who cannot help themselves. I mean, God's word, if you read it, tells us over and over that our job is to try to help the vulnerable, those who most need it. In fact, as you go over the Old Testament, it puts the, the most vulnerable in three primary categories. It talks about the widow, the immigrant, and the fatherless. And it says to God's people, you should stand up and help these people who are the most destitute because that's the heart of the father. Now, here's what's interesting. There's actually a story in the Old Testament that many people are familiar with. They have no idea it's actually about God's heart for the widow, for the immigrant, and for the fatherless. It's the story of Ruth. Now, when you read the story of Ruth, most of us, if you know the story, we think it's a love story. It's a romance story. It's a story about a young lady named Ruth who finds a young man named Boaz and they meet each other and they fall in love and they get married and they have children who happens to be one of the forerunners of King David and, and they live happily ever after. But I want to teach you this morning that ultimately the story of Ruth isn't about attraction or romance. It's a story about a man who is willing to pursue somebody who was vulnerable and invite that person into his family. It was a story about a man who was willing to fight on behalf of those who were the, the, the most destitute, the most at risk. I mean, you see it from the very first pages, the very first verses of the book. If you go to the book of Ruth, it's the eighth book in the Old Testament. And you go to chapter one, verses one through five, listen to what it says as we set up the scene. It says, in the day when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. They are Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. And they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. And they lived there about 10 years and both Malan and Chilion died so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Let's stop there for a moment. So what you're seeing here is a tragic story. It's a story about someone who's incredibly vulnerable, specifically Naomi. Now, you don't probably understand this unless you understand a biblical worldview. But back then, women, if they didn't have men in their lives, were incredibly vulnerable because they had no means to provide for themselves. A woman was not allowed to work. A woman was not allowed to own property. She had no means of caring for herself. So, so her only way to be protected and provided for was by men. And that would come through originally her father, maybe later on her brothers. Then one day she would get married and that man would provide. And then one day she would hopefully have sons and those sons would provide for her. That she was always dependent upon men. So in this story, there is zero. They're all gone. They're all dead. It's a, a tragic story of incredible vulnerability. So understandably, Naomi decides she's going to leave Moab, which is a, a foreign country, and go back to her home country of Israel. And she's going to be over there in, in actually the land of Judah, 
And she's going to try to restore some semblance of a life, find somebody who can care for her. So she has these two daughter-in-laws and she's wise enough to say, you ladies need to go back to your father's houses. I've got no means to provide for you. Maybe your father can provide until you find another husband. And Orpah decides to go back home to her father, but Ruth doesn't. She decides she's going to stay with Naomi and go with Naomi back to the land of Israel, back to the land of Judah. And in fact, you, you see one of the most famous verses in the book of Ruth, chapter one, verse 16. Listen to what it says here. It says, but Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or to return from fathering you for where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. It's a beautiful verse. A lot of people use these in weddings, but actually it's a tragic verse because this verse is basically ensuring that Ruth is going to be utterly destitute. By this statement, Ruth now falls under all three categories of vulnerability. She's already a widow. Now she's going to be an immigrant because she's going from her home country of Moab to the land of Judah. And on top of that, she's going to be fatherless because she's leaving her father's house. She has no one to care for her. She becomes the poorest of the poor. In fact, you see it in the next chapter by her actions. It says that she's going around fields and she's taking heads of grain off of the remaining uh, grain out in a field because the law in Israel was that you were supposed to reap the majority of your field, but leave the edges so that the poorest of poor could pick it off and eat and survive. And that's exactly what you see Ruth doing. She is destitute. She's the poorest of the poor. She's just eking by trying to survive. And it's actually in this situation of incredible vulnerability where she's fatherless, where she didn't have anybody to care for her, that Boaz enters the story. And what you're going to discover as we go through it is that Boaz was not just romantic. Boaz was fighting on behalf of the vulnerable. In fact, he does three things that grab our attention, that model for us what it means for us to stand up for the vulnerable. First one you see in chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. So I want you to read those verses with me. See what happens here. It says, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Let's stop there for a moment. So basically here she is out in the field and she's trying to get whatever food she can. And it says that Boaz, when he returned from a trip to Bethlehem, he saw her. And immediately he wanted to do something to help her. And it's in this that you learn the first step that Boaz took. A beautiful step. He opened his eyes to someone vulnerable around him. That's where the change started. Boaz opened his eyes to someone who was vulnerable around him. What's interesting in the story is that everybody saw Ruth, but no one seemed to see her. I mean, here she is, she's gleaning, she's trying to get some grain to eat and everybody knows who she is. In fact, when Boaz asked, well, who's this lady? Everyone had the answer. Well, she's the Moabite who, woman who came back with Naomi, they all knew Naomi's story. It's a small little village. They knew the tragic story. They knew that Ruth was there and that she was a widow and that she was an immigrant and that she was fatherless. And they said, oh, pobrecita. And there she is. She didn't have anybody to care for her. But no one did anything until Boaz stepped in. And Boaz didn't just see some poor people out there. He saw Ruth. He saw someone vulnerable. 
And it led him to do something about it. And I want to suggest to you that's exactly where it needs to start for you and me. There is an orphan crisis. There is a foster care crisis right now in our country and around the world. And sometimes the mass is so big that we just go, you know what, it's too much to take in. And all we see is need, but we don't look at someone. And there comes a moment we have to open our eyes and see someone who is vulnerable. Because when we lower it down to one, all of a sudden we can do something about it. That's exactly what he does here. But he doesn't stop with just seeing Ruth. He does the next thing. The second thing that he does is he points her to the true God of hope. Ruth is drawn into Boaz. Now she, she's got this man who's got incredible wealth and who has these fields and who's, who's taking care of her and she's shocked by it. And I, I want to see the interaction between Ruth and Boaz and see how he points her to the true God of hope. Keep on reading verse 10. It says, Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you've done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge." I love this interaction because here's Ruth, totally astounded that Boaz would be so kind to her, a foreigner, this immigrant, this widow, and this fatherless person. Why are you doing this, Boaz? And I love Boaz's answer. He doesn't say, well, it's because I'm a pretty righteous dude. No, he didn't, he didn't look at himself at all. He says, no, Ruth, look up to God. You are coming under God's wings. This is God's doing for you. What he's doing is he's pointing her, not to himself, pointing her to the God of refuge, the God of hope. This is what I love about adoption. You and I have the same opportunity for children all over the world. There are so many children in our world who will never have access to the God of hope. They're like Ruth who is back in Moab worshiping false gods. But when you and I, Christian families, bring a child into our home through adoption and foster care, we have the opportunity not just to provide for them temporarily on this earth, but to point them to the God of hope who can give them hope for all of eternity. And it's beautiful when anybody adopts. Praise God for other families in other parts of the world who adopt. But when a Christian family adopts, we know they're going to get so much more hope because they're going to meet the God of hope in that family. What a beautiful opportunity you and I have to do that very thing for a child who needs to meet the God of hope. That's what Boaz does for Ruth. But there's a third thing, last thing I want to mention that he does. And it said he was willing to go through the formal process of welcoming her into his family. What you finalize in the book of Ruth as you read the last chapter is that there was a huge journey that he had to take in order to bring, formally bring Ruth into his family. And remember, this isn't primarily a romance story. It's primarily a story about a man who sees a vulnerable person and decides to bring that person into his family. You see it because in chapter 4, verses 1 through 10, go back later and read those verses. You see that in the formal process, there's actually someone else who can redeem Ruth, who can provide for her, who can bring her into his family. But he refuses to do so when he finds out the cost. When he realizes he's going to have to provide for her, he's going to have to care for her, he's going to have to protect her, she's going to be a burden to him. He didn't want to do that, so he says, nope, I'm not going to do it. But what that man wasn't willing to do, Boaz was willing to do. He was willing, willing to bring Ruth into his family, even though it meant he was going to have to provide for her, meant he was going to have to give a lot for her to come into the family. He was willing to do it because he wanted to meet the need of someone who was vulnerable. 
however hard the process may be. And I can't help but think when I read this story of the gospel of Jesus, the story of Ruth and Boaz is a picture of the gospel because isn't that what the father has done for us? Hasn't the father been willing to go through the formal process of bringing us into his family to formally adopt us, even though it cost him his own son, like we mentioned before, he was willing to do it to make sure he dotted every I, he crossed every T so we could be brought into his family. Why? So that the enemy could have no claim upon us. We were his and we'll be his for all eternity. And when you remember what God has done for you and for me, that's what compels us to say, maybe we should be willing to go through the formal process of welcoming some vulnerable child into our family because they need a home. There are so many children in this world and they need a mom or a dad who will love them and even go through the formal process of welcoming that child in their home. Maybe that could be you or me. What I love about Fielder Church, we don't just talk about this, we do it. Right now, there are 21 families, as I mentioned before, that are in the formal process of bringing a child into their home through foster care or through adoption. In fact, you, you can see on your screen, we have a picture of the majority of these families. And these beautiful families are, many of them, you know these people. Some of them are staff. Some of them are just people you rub shoulders with at church on Sunday morning. And these precious families have said, I'm going to pay the price. I'm going to take the journey. Though it may be long and hard, I want to bring a precious child into my home. I want to go through the formal process of welcoming a child who's vulnerable so they can know they have a mom and a dad and someone who loves them. Listen, these families... They need our help and our support. If you recognize somebody, then you should say, I'm going to pray for that family. Maybe you don't recognize anybody, but you can determine you are going to pray for these families because they need our prayer. The journey is going to be hard. There's going to be some massive disappointments. In fact, one of these families this very week got some very hard news about something they'd hoped for and, and their hearts were, were crushed, but they're not going to stop. They're going to continue on in the adoption process because they know the journey is hard, but it's going to be worth it. But they need our prayer. They need us to pray that the enemy would not overtake them, that the process would go through, that God would show his power to bring a child into their home. I want to ask you to commit to pray for these families. But I also know there's some of you watching this going, I will, I'll commit to pray, but surely there's more I can do. Absolutely, there's more you can do. There are ways you can serve these families, these 21 families. There are ways you can give to these families. So here's how you can do that. I want you to get your phone out, if you don't mind. And I want you to, to go to your text and I want you to text the number 94253 and you put in the subject line adoption. Just like you see it right there, text the word adoption to 94253. Now don't worry, if you hit send on that, that doesn't mean we have a child that's gonna be delivered to your doorstep and that's not how this thing works, all right? You're just letting us know that you wanna be a part of the, the larger adoption community. All that's gonna happen is you're gonna get a little link on your phone, you're gonna click that link that's going to be automatically sent to you. And it's going to take you to a webpage that says foster care and adoption. And in this webpage, you're going to see these little bluish green boxes. One says serve, one says learn, one says give. Now you can go ahead and ignore the learn one. I'm going to come back to that in a moment. But let's say you want to serve. Well, all you do is you just click that little serve box and it's going to take you to another webpage. And that's a form that you fill out. First thing you say is, I speak English. If you do, you can choose Spanish as well. Then you just give us some basic information, what campus you attend, if you normally attend one of the, the personal campuses, you can indicate that. But if you're only a part of the online campus, you can put you a part of the online campus. And then you just let us know. You can, you can put together foster care first night bags or you can help put together Christmas baskets for fostering families. You can be a, a respite night volunteer. You can take a meal to a new family when a new child comes into that family. 
or you can, you can do anything else. You can just let us know you want to be on call. If a need comes up, to, to let you know so that you can meet a need. All you do is you fill this form out, you hit submit, and that puts you on the list and lets us know we can communicate with you as needs arise. So if you want to serve, I want to encourage you to do that. Now, maybe some of you have heard about the financial need of some of these families. And it's tremendous. There are a few of these families that need to raise somewhere between a few thousand up to $50,000 to bring a child into their home. And if you feel compelled to give, we have a beautiful option. In fact, on that same page that the link took you to, on the right side, it says give. You can just touch that box and it's going to take you to a different website. And it's going to actually have a list of families and you're going to see their picture, hear their stories. You're going to recognize some are staff, some are not. But you actually have a chance to read who they are and it says donate. You click that button and it takes you to a place where you can fill out all your information and give right there directly to that family. 100% of it goes to that family. And this is going to be a tax-deductible gift that will go on your giving record at Fielder Church. That family will get it and it will help them bring that child into their home. So all you got to do is you just text the word adoption to 94253 and you'll have every single resource you need to be able to serve these families and give toward these adoptions. Be a part of the beautiful ministry God is doing. And I know so many of you can do that. But listen, I want to throw a little caution. I'm afraid there are some of you and you might do that. It's a great thing to serve a family or give to a family, but you actually might do that as an excuse not to do the greater thing God is calling you to do. I believe there are some of you watching this and God is calling you to bring one of these children into your home. We believe over this next year, God wants us to bring 75 more children into Christian homes in our church, 25 for adoption, 50 through foster care, which means many of you watching this will be the ones that God is stirring right now to take a step forward in this. And I'm afraid you may go, I'm not ready for that. So I'll serve a family. I'll give toward a family so I can wash my hands and said, I've done my, my, my good deed for the year. And you're going to miss the greater thing God is doing. Listen, don't settle for less than God has for you. If he's nudging your heart to find out more, you need to take that step. And, and I know there are all kinds of reasons why you would say you can't do it. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not ready. I'm not, uh, my family's not ready. We're not financially ready. We're not emotionally ready. I don't, I don't know the steps to take. There, there are so many kids out there. Where would I even begin? And so that paralysis comes in because of how hard it seems. But I, I want to help you know why you should do it. I get that you might not be able to change the world, but you can change the world of one child if you just step into it. God taught me that same thing 12 years ago. I, I want you to hear what God taught me as I was adopting Max. And I told you earlier about what happened the first day we got to China. This is now a couple of weeks later. And we have gone from Beijing down to Guangzhou to finalize the adoption of Max. He'd been with us for two weeks. We'd already fallen in love with our precious son, beautiful child and full of life. And we were just a few days from coming home and we had decided we were going to go eat at a restaurant in downtown Guangzhou. Got into a taxi and it led us off pretty close to the restaurant we were going to. We had to walk a couple of blocks to get there. And as, as we're walking down downtown Guangzhou through the streets, I notice a, a young man off to the right. And he, was, he looked like he was maybe late teens, early 20s, and he was so dirty. And he was, he was barely dressed, covered in just hardly anything. And he stuck out his hand begging for money. He was speaking in Mandarin. I didn't know what he said, but I could see the sign. He, he wanted some money. And when he stuck out his hand, I realized that he had the exact same physical condition as my son that we had just adopted. Something called radial dysplasia. It's when a bone is missing in each one of the forearms and each one of the lower legs and therefore the limbs bend in. 
and I could recognize it immediately. I could see it. He had the exact same physical condition. And when I saw him, there was this, this thought that just washed over me like that, that could have been my son. That could have been Max on the side of the road begging. And, and, I, and I tried to keep myself together emotionally because we were, we were going out to dinner and I didn't, I didn't want to be depressed. But later that night, when, when we were in bed, I, I just broke down weeping, just picturing my son on the side of the road begging. And that next morning when I woke up, I was so distraught until God told me to look over at that little boy, Max, and I could see him smiling, playing with his sisters. And God told me, Jason, that's never going to be his story. You want to know why it's not going to be his story? Because that young man has a family that loves him, that's going to fight for him, that will never let him be abandoned to the side of the road. And I know I can't change the world, but God gave me the grace to change the world of one little child. And I guarantee you, it's worth it. There are some of you watching this and God is trying to tell you there is a child whose world you can change. And I know you're afraid and I know it's dangerous and costly, but it's worth it to be a part of what God is doing. Listen, don't make excuses. If God is calling you to take a step forward, take a step. Look, a journey of a thousand miles begins with just one step. I wanna encourage you right now. If you think God just maybe is nudging you to take a step forward, to do the same thing I mentioned earlier, get your phone out, go back and, and text that word adoption to 94253. Again, let me remind you, this doesn't mean you're committing to adopt a child or foster parent a child. It just gives you the link and then you're gonna go to that link and it's gonna take you back to that same webpage. And right in the middle, there's that little bluish green box that says learn. And when you click on that box, it takes you to a form that you can fill out. You just select your language. You give us basic information, what campus you attend. And then there's three little things you can indicate. If you're interested in domestic adoption or international adoption or foster care or all three, you can check as many as you want. And here's what that does. That lets us know you at least have interest. And all that's gonna happen is one of our staff is gonna reach out to you in the next couple of days and let you know steps that you can take, ways that you can find out more information. We just want to hold your hand and walk you through as you try to decide, is this right for your family or not? This isn't a commitment for anything more than learning. But if you believe God might be calling you toward this, if he's nudging your heart, then begin one step. I can't make the whole journey easy, but I can make the first step easy. Just text the word adoption to 94253. Follow the link. Learn about what it means to bring a child into your home. So we're going to finish up our time together by singing over you. And we're going to sing a blessing over you and your family. But during the song, you may need some time of prayer. You may need a time where you gather together with your spouse or with your family and ask the Lord, is this what he's calling us to do? Maybe you just need to get on your knees. Maybe God's been tugging your heart and you've been fighting. You say, I give up. I raise my white flag, Lord. Yes, I'll do it. I don't know what step you need to take to prepare your heart. While they sing over you, let God speak to you. You can join in the worship if you'd like to. But let God speak to you right now. Now's the time you respond.